Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shift podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real-life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone. So there are specific diagnostic criteria that someone must meet and that are used by mental health professionals, such as myself, to diagnose a patient with an eating disorder. And these criteria explain the symptoms that people who are diagnosed with these illnesses have. So for instance, one of the symptoms for someone who has a diagnosis of anorexia nervosa is that they are disturbed by their body weight or shape, or their self-worth is influenced by their body weight or shape, or they have a persistent lack of recognition of the seriousness of their low body weight. However, What the diagnostic criteria does not do is that it does not go into what the actual experience or the day-to-day existence is like for someone who has an eating disorder. So let's take the criteria I just mentioned above. What are the daily thoughts, actions, and feelings of someone who is disturbed by their body shape or weight? How does someone determine their body shape, size, and weight? Well, one way that this happens is by something that is known as body checking. And I find that when this comes up in sessions with patients, for instance, they are often shocked to find out the different ways that they engage in body checking throughout the day. And it's something that many of you out there listening might actually be doing throughout much of your day, and you might have no idea. You you may think it's normal and that everyone does the things you're doing, and you may have no idea how much of your time is spent doing this and how much of a toll it is actually taking on you, which is why I wanted to have an entire show discussing this. And just as I was thinking about this and having a show on it, I just so happened to come across a post about body checking and it was so spot on. So I feel so fortunate to not only have come across that post just when I did, but to have the person who created and published that post here with us today to discuss body checking and really get into the ways people engage in it and how much it really can affect your life. So Cherie Miller is a licensed counselor supervisor in the state of Texas. She is founder and owner of Nourished Soul Center for Healing, which is a group practice of therapists and dietitians who help people make peace with food and their bodies. Cherie has 15 years of experience as an eating disorder therapist, mentor, speaker, educator, and advocate. She is also a member of the International Association of Eating Disorders Professionals and the Association for Size, Diversity, and Health. All right. Well, Cherie, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here to discuss this topic. But, you know, people listening uh, may or may not know you. So um, would you mind sharing a little bit about how you got into your field of work and how you got here, I guess? Yeah, for sure. So I'm Cherie Miller, and I am a licensed professional counselor in the state of Texas. 
Um, I also do coaching and I run a group practice with other therapists and some dietitians. And so we specialize in helping women and men, <laughs> increasingly more men, uh, make peace with food and their bodies. And we also specialize in some other things like substance use, OCD, trauma, things like that. And um, sorry, I'm just realizing you asked me also like how I got into this work. Um I got into this work like a lot of people, and I think like you as well, I'm recovered myself from an eating disorder, and I knew even before I recovered that I wanted to help other people make peace with food in their bodies. I actually found that pretty motivating for myself when I was going through recovery of this is part of why I want to get well, because I really want to change things in culture and make a difference and help other people. So I am very happy to be doing this work. I had a career previously uh, in business marketing. And so I enjoyed a lot of things about it, but it was not my passion. So I was very happy when I was finally in a season of life. I could go back to graduate school, get to my get my degree, and then start working as a therapist and coach. So that's where I'm at now. And like I said, I love it every day. I'm, I'm so happy to be able to do this work. Yeah. And I think too, like when you've been through it yourself, you can relate better. Um, I don't know if you went through that too. I went through this time where I was thinking, gosh, I don't almost want to do it because I was afraid people might think I'm bringing my own stuff into the session yeah. on the people, but um, I don't know if you ever kind of went through that transition of like, actually, it's probably better if I've been through it myself, so I can relate more with the people in my office. Yeah, I'm thankful that my time period of coming into this work was pretty far removed from my own stuff. So I felt like I was in a pretty secure place and didn't have to worry about that so much. And it's really, it's really in line with my values to be pretty authentic um, I, I believe that self-disclosure can be a really powerful thing in working with clients. Um, of course, it has to be appropriate and it has to be well-timed. And, you know, there are certainly times clients will ask me questions and I'll say, I don't think it would be in your best interest for me to answer that um, because we tend to do a lot of comparing and sometimes that's not helpful. But, you know, the research in eating disorder treatment and recovery does show that having somebody in your life who can model that recovery is possible is actually quite an important factor in recovery for people. And so I see that as a really good thing. And hopefully too, even though my story is never exactly the same as the clients that I work with, hopefully they know that I certainly don't judge them. Um, and there's no shame as far as like what I'm thinking or how I'm, how I'm viewing them because I, even if it's not the same behaviors, a lot of what they're feeling, thinking, um, I can definitely relate to that and have been there. And I, I think that's important as far as that vulnerability and feeling like you can open up to somebody else with sometimes some really deep, dark things or things you never shared with anybody else. Yeah, and that's, that's for sure. And um, just even the topic we're going to discuss today, um, you know, you and I were chatting a little bit before we hit record, just the most people wouldn't even know what this is unless they've actually been through it and experienced it themselves. And so that's another reason I have this podcast is to bring awareness to things that they're not in the diagnostic manual. Like this isn't part of the diagnostic manual per se, but it's very much a prevalent thing that people who have 
had eating disorders or do have them uh, experience well, part of their day, um, mm-hmm. much of a struggle. And so, um, you know, I'm just wondering for you, like um, the topic of, you know, body checking, how often do you find that people aren't even aware that they're doing it? And, you know, to that point, maybe we can just discuss what that even is. But um, do you find that people are often can, like kind of shocked that, oh, gosh, I that, that's something I am struggling with? Oh, definitely. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, let's just start with how we define body checking. And I would define it as any kind of behavior that you engage in to seek reassurance about your body or something about your appearance, right? So um, that's why we do see it a lot with eating disorders. We can see it a lot with people who have body dysmorphia. So it may be it may be weight related or it might not be. Um, I know with our work with eating disorders, a lot of times it is related to weight or shape uh, or size. Uh, but yeah, for sure, there's a lot of body checking behaviors that either people don't realize they're engaging in or they don't realize maybe it's disordered or not helpful because as we were saying before we hit record, sometimes it's just normalized by diet culture or even encouraged. And so, you know, when we see that, we don't realize maybe how harmful it can be. So, you know, people might be going, okay, so what is body checking? Like, how would I even know if I'm doing that? What What is it? Yeah. So some examples of body checking would be um, weighing and measuring, uh, pinching, poking at your body, feeling for things on your body, uh, for for bone or for fat or for muscle. It might be uh, trying on clothes to see if they still fit. It might be looking at old photos and comparing old photos to your your body now or comparing your body to other people's bodies and seeing how it compares. It might be um, checking the mirror. That's a common one where you go and mirror check um, to see if I'm okay or if you catch a reflection in the window when you walk by. So there are a lot of ways that it can show up. And and like I said, when you talk about things like measuring or or weighing, you know, those are so common in diet culture and often, like I said, encouraged or prescribed by medical professionals or personal trainers or diet companies or whatever, you know, um, like Noom, you know, they claim not to be a diet company, <laughs> um, which obviously they are, um, even though they, they try to really disguise that. So maybe it's not so obvious, but uh, yeah, that, I mean, that's one of the things that, that they want their clients to do is to weigh. And so, you know, that's a, always a red flag for me. <laughs> Yeah, I did a podcast on the apps and, you know, really got into Noom. And so, you know, if anyone did not listen to that, but to your point too, you know, people might be asking, well, why is that so bad? Like I'm, people might be using Noom right now, like thinking, why why is that such a bad thing to measure myself or weigh myself? Like, isn't that a sign of progress or that it's quote unquote working or I'm doing the right things? Like, what would you say to them? Yeah, I know a lot of people see it as, well, it's a way to measure my progress or hold myself accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if the if there's still a lot of fixation on losing or maintaining weight, if you're looking to heal your relationship with your body and have uh, body, body acceptance or body neutrality, it's really contrary to that because it continues to keep a focus on 
that particular aspect of your body, right? So it's very circular in that sense. It's like you're not going to heal that and get less obsessed with that by continuing to come back to it, to think about it, to seek those things out. And so it's not helpful in that sense. It's also, it can be very self-reinforcing in some negative ways. Um, I like to talk a lot about things from a neurological level and how things get ingrained in our brains, right? Because a lot of times these things become automatic behaviors, you know, again, going back to that, sometimes we don't even know. Sometimes clients were, when they really start keeping track, they're shocked to find out they're going to the bathroom 10 times a day um, and checking their stomach or whatever. They don't realize they're doing it that much. Um, but when we body check, we're usually trying to relieve some, some anxiety that has come up for us. And so we go and engage in whatever that body checking behavior is to reduce that anxiety. And it either will work and we'll feel better. We'll feel reassured that, okay, everything is okay. And that reinforces in our brain, hey, this is a good way to relieve anxiety. That worked, right? Like Our brains are super efficient, which is great when it comes to I don't want to have to think about how to ride my bike or how to drive my car or brush my teeth. I want my brain to be more efficient and automatic in all of that. And it's not so helpful when it comes to things that aren't as helpful for us. But the same theories apply, right? So um, things will become more automatic and efficient. And so we're going to have stronger and stronger urges to keep doing that because Again, it quote unquote worked as far as relieving our anxiety in that moment. If it doesn't work and we don't like what we find, then it usually pushes us further into disordered eating if that's something we struggle with or whatever else might be going on with uh, that body part. If we're, you know, really focused and obsessed on a, on a certain body part, um, whether that's putting on makeup or you know, whatever it might be to try to hide or minimize that body part. And so really neither outcome is very helpful in the long term. The short term, again, you might feel better in the moment if you're, you know, happy, so to speak, with what you find. But long term, it's a really destructive cycle. And then it just gets harder and harder to stop. Yes. I'm just thinking of, you know, the weighing part of things. Um, you know, when I I'm wondering your experience when I ask people to get rid of the scale it's like I'm asking them to pull out all their hair thing <laughs> it's like this reaction yeah. of like there's no way I can do this it's like that really freaks them out and I don't know what your reaction is that you get from people but very yeah cool. it feels it feels like you're asking them to give up their security blanket because those those behaviors or those objects are security for them, right? And I I mean, I get it. I've been there, you know, I just, <laughs> I just talked about that earlier. It's like, I remember doing the body checking and I know how powerful that urge can be. And I know I actually went on a self-imposed mirror fast uh, whenever I was in recovery. I did keep a mirror in my bathroom that I could like do my makeup for work and things like that, but I couldn't look at my body anymore. And it was really hard. I remember the first day I left for work without being able to body check in that full length mirror. I was a mess. I mean, I just was so anxious, right? And when you're not 
going to engage or you can't engage in a behavior that previously was used to relieve your anxiety. Your anxiety goes way up, right? It gets worse before it gets better. Um, But over time, after a few days and then a few weeks, it felt much easier. I, I wasn't freaking out. Some days were still a little tough, but overall it was so much easier. And after months, I really got to a point where I didn't didn't think about it so much. And it was a relief to not spend, I don't even know how much time body checking, changing my clothes, you know, pinching and poking at my stomach and all the things uh, that I had done in my body checking morning routine before that. Yeah. I mean, imagining people listening, going like, oh my gosh, how do you not look in the mirror? How do you leave the house not knowing what you look like in your clothes or, um, yeah, a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it went, like I said, it was it was incredibly tough. I, you know, made the decision to do that for myself, and I've suggested it for clients who are willing to go through that discomfort, mm-hmm. um, because it, it it's drastic, but it can be really helpful uh, because it's it's kind of like self imposed accountability. It's like you don't have the option to stand there and do it if you don't have the mirror. Um, the, again, that's only if you ha- if we're talking about that particular particular body checking behavior, but it's kind of the same with throwing out your scale or throwing out the tape measure. Um, you know, if it involves any kind of tool or anything else, you know, getting rid of those things to make it harder for you to do the body checking. Like I said, the, the anxiety does get worse before it gets better. So it's really important, I think, to have support and it's important to have some good coping skills and have a plan for how you're going to manage that so that you're not floundering or overwhelmed. Right. Because, you know, as you're talking, it's like, it gets the sense of, oh, when you body check, you're always going to get this relief. But there's the other part where, you know, if you go to the scale and it's not giving you relief because you see some number that is higher than you were wanting to see, or you look in the mirror and you see something and, you know, it's not what you want to see or, you put on the clothes and they feel tight or something happens and you get the opposite of the relief. It wreaks much more havoc on your life. And so the body checking really is damaging and it really does wreak havoc on your emotional state. Mm -hmm. And like I said, it just reinforces that obsession with your body instead of helping you move away from that, which I think is such an important goal in recovery Mm -hmm. from an eating disorder is to really start detaching your your worth, your identity from your body and just getting to a place where maybe you'll get to a place where you just love your body. <laughs> that's great for people who get there. I'm not sure that's most people and I and I believe that's okay and you can still experience a lot of joy and freedom in life and with food just by doing what I call making a truce with your body, just accepting that it is and not spending your life just constantly trying to shrink it and change it and just accepting it for what it is. And and you may like what it looks like, or maybe you don't, but if you're not defined by it anymore, if it isn't, if your worth isn't wrapped up in it anymore, it's a lot easier to say, well, I don't, I don't really love it today and that's okay. And move on about your day. So, you know, one thing I'm also finding is, well, the impetus of, you know, the social media. And so people maybe not even realizing that by looking at a lot of social media, the Instagram posts, things like that, um, whatever they're getting in their feeds, 
it's this passive body checking of like getting, I guess, you know, there's a lot of influencers out there who say they're wellness or into health or whatever, and they're really <laughs> couching it that way, but they're actually doing a lot of damage um, and promoting more toxic diet culture, like promoting you have more value and worth if you, you know, have this certain body type or look like this and kind of, again, promoting more body checking, like, oh, how do I look compared to this person? Or I need to buy their product or follow them or do what they're doing um, to look like that because they seem so happy and they're saying they're healthy and they're well and they're happy. And um, yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And unfortunately, I've, I've, I've heard it described as some of these influencers using their bodies as their business cards. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. So they may not be directly saying, hey, do these things and you'll look like me. Although sometimes they do. Yeah. But sometimes it's a little more indirect and subtle than that. But the message is still really there. I mean, I I mentioned that I had a career in business marketing before this. I understand how marketing works, right? Like we're trying to, uh, whenever we're trying to sell something, we are trying to make people feel like they have a need, first of all. And then that whatever it is you're selling is going to be the the fix for that, or it's going to, it's going to meet that need. Right. And so, yeah, it's all about pointing out insecurities or um, making somebody feel more insecure than they might already in the moment, because then that creates uh, a a passion of like, oh, I've got to do something about this. And look, she seems to have the answers. She looks great. She's happy. Like what you were saying, right? It sells, definitely sells a message of if you do these things, you eat in this way, you, you know, you buy this workout program, whatever, you'll, you'll have all the same happiness and health and love and body right? As, as all these other people. So yeah, I think, I think we have to be really critical consumers of both media and social media, because there's a, there's a lot of harm in not being discerning about the messages that we're taking in and even recognizing the messages that we're taking in and, and how they affect us. But there's, there have been so many studies over the last couple of decades that have shown how detrimental uh, social media can be to our mental health and to our self-confidence and our body image, you know, as, as little as just a few minutes of scrolling mm-hmm. can really make our self-confidence plummet. Right. And that's another reason I want to talk about this to bring the awareness and have people really like, maybe even if it plants a little seed of, you know, be aware, like really of look at what you're getting in your feed and ask yourself like how do I feel after I look at these like people and what the messages are and do you find yourself I want to like that too oh and like like, what are they doing like because if you're getting really entrenched in like oh I want to follow this person I want to buy their program I want to work with them solely because of they're promoting how they look that's a problem yeah, yeah, it for sure is. And we spend so much time on social media or watching media that we have to be really careful about what we take in, you know, and even if we know these things, like I was a marketer, I understand these principles, and I still find myself getting taken in by this stuff if I'm not careful. 
So even when we know these things intellectually, they can still really make an impact. And so I think it's really important. And I, I encourage clients that I work with to curate their social media feed and really go through a period of detoxing, which I always joke is the only detox I recommend, but detoxing their social media and cleaning out things that are harmful, or even if it's not harmful, right? It might be that friend that always looks totally perfect and looks like they have a perfect life. And it just brings up feelings in you that aren't super positive. It's okay to unfollow or just mute that person for a while. And then filling your feed with things that do build you up, do get you closer to your actual values in life and and closer to being able to eat intuitively and accept your body and all of those things because there's there's so many, so many good accounts for those things now that it's it's easy if you are looking to do that to fill up your feed with some amazing accounts that can help in that. So, I mean, kind of on the same line, do you feel like people do that as a form of body checking as well, whether it's in person or on social media, say like they're on Facebook, they're comparing what they look like to their friends or comparing what they look like to people they see on social media or compare if they walk into a party, say like comparing what they look like and like kind of scanning, like how do I look compared to all these other people in the room? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, you know, some of that is, I think, our just genetic wiring of where we're predisposed to compare. You know, I think that's because we're social creatures and to some degree, we're always kind of trying to figure out where we are in the hierarchy, so to speak. You know, that's just kind of a primal thing. Uh, You know, there are theories that goes way back to when we were more like tribal societies and, you know, fitting in was really important because you weren't going to survive if you got kicked out of the tribe. So being able to recognize like, hey, what are the norms here and adapt to that was a survival thing. You know, I don't know if that's true, but I'm like, it seems reasonable. But, you know, regardless, I think there's still a pretty similar uh, element at play when we are wanting to fit in. We want to be accepted. Uh, Some of us are looking for something maybe even more than that because we just really have such a void uh, in self-acceptance. And, you know, maybe we just didn't get any kind of love or approval growing up and we're still looking for that. And, you know, feeling like, oh, we have a body that other people admire. It It may be superficial, but it does fill a little bit of that void. Um, I think it's kind of got an empty bottom where it all, it all pours out. It doesn't fill your bucket and stay full, right? It's like, okay, that feels good for, you know, maybe five minutes and then you're, you're feeling insecure again. Um, And I think it's, again, it totally depends on who we're around, right? If we're comparing ourselves, I feel really good if I'm comparing myself to her and I think I look better than her. But if I compare myself to this woman over there and she looks better now I feel terrible and my body hasn't changed (laughs) but I feel completely different about it based on who I just compared myself to and you know so I, I normalize that for clients and at the same time point out again how helpful that is not and also is that really in line with our values I think when we really get down to it most of us as women don't really like the idea of being in competition with other women or deriving self-esteem by feeling like we're better than other women or you know like i said making that hierarchy of women's bodies but i think when we realize that's what we're doing that 
feels kind of icky. And we realize that's, that's really not in line with our values. And it's really not the way that we want to be. Yeah. And think about that too. If you're in a social situation and that's the, what your whole focus is the whole time is comparing and feeling good or bad, or, I mean, you're not even present or enjoying the whole event. It's really sad. Yeah. I hear that all the time of, you know, I, I couldn't even focus on the conversation because I was too worried about you know, my body, or I was too worried about what I was eating or trying not to eat something that was there. And there is just so much mind space that gets filled up when we are in these places of food and body issues. It's, I, I think sometimes we don't realize how much mind space it's taking up, but I truly believe if we shed all of this as women, we would, we would change the world because we'd have so much more time, energy, and money to devote to way more important things. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, same too, as I hear photos, oh, so much stress over, oh my gosh, is someone going to tag me in a photo or they want to be the one taking the photos or have them so they can pick which ones go out there or the torture people put on themselves of even body checking themselves in comparison to the other people in the photos. Like, how do I look compared to everyone else? Oh my gosh, I was the whatever one in the photo, I can't possibly, you know, like, this is horrible. I look like the worst or whatever it is. And um, a lot of internal body shaming and um, body checking, comparing just with those. And that, that I've heard much more in the last say, decade than I've ever heard before. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I know some of that is probably because things can go public now in a way they they couldn't when I was a kid mm-hmm. um, or younger. You know, we just didn't we didn't have social media. But now that we do, it's like, well, any picture that gets taken could get posted and, you know, be out there for who knows how many people to see. It feels a lot more vulnerable, I think, than just back back when we were younger and people were just snapping a picture on their their camera that maybe they'd develop maybe they wouldn't you know um <laughs> right now it's it's definitely uh there's a lot more at stake as far as your your photo being viewed and and that can feel more vulnerable and i hear a lot of the same things as you especially from from moms who avoid being in pictures with their kids and families and uh, on vacations and things like that. That just really breaks my heart because, you know, I actually just uh, created a guide that people can download for free on my website about how to make peace with yourself in pictures, because I think it is so important. I feel passionate about showing up and being in the pictures because this is not what pictures are, are about. It is not about looking fantastic from every angle or looking like, you just stepped out of a magazine. I mean, it really is about capturing some special memories uh, that you can never relive. But, you know, if you're looking back on them in in your own way, you can kind of re-experience them. Or like I just um, have a client that took some pictures with her daughter for Mother's Day. And, you know, her daughter is so young, you know, she's a toddler and she's not going to remember that. But I thought, you know, what a beautiful experience and gift that she's giving her daughter to show up in those pictures, even though it caused her a lot of anxiety, because someday her daughter is going to have those sweet photos. And they were very sweet (laughs) of her mother holding her. And, you know, just, that's just priceless. And it, it's sad to think how many times we miss out on those opportunities to give that to ourselves and to the people who care about us because of body shame. 
Yes. And I mean, to your point too, I hear so, so often, oh my gosh, I saw a picture of myself when I was a teenager or five years ago, 10 years ago, and I look great. Or I wish, I wish I could look like that now, but back then I thought I looked awful or I felt the same way about myself then as I do now. And, you know, if only I'd known what I looked like, or, you know, I hear all this all the time. So I say, well, really doesn't matter what you look like then, does it? Like you still, it's the mindset. Yeah, 100%. You make such a good point. And I hear that all the time too. And I've even experienced that. I I think it was sometime last year, I was looking through photo albums with my mom and I was looking at pictures of myself on a beach vacation right after I graduated high school. And I just, I just was so taken aback. I, I mean, what I was looking at was not how I remember seeing myself at the time. And I just, I looked over at my mom and I said, I wasn't, I wasn't big and, and it wouldn't have mattered if I was, but it just goes to show like how distorted our self-image can be. You know, my mom just got teary eyed and patted my leg and said, she was no honey, you weren't, you know? And again, I, I want to make sure I'm emphasizing that it would not have been bad if I was, but of course at the time I felt like it was, and that was part of what drove me to dieting, which led to an eating disorder as it so often, too often does. And so I think that's a great point that you make about how much body image really is a mindset and that we can't always trust our perceptions anyway, because they are not always fact. They're not objective. There's a lot of things that influence what we see in the mirror or what we see in the photo. And so keeping that in mind is really, really important. Yeah. And it is sad, you know, so take the photos, like, right? Yes. Take the photos. (laughs) Yeah. Like you said, you can't get that time back and go back and be in them and have that memory. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be so sad to, you know, years from now, your children or grandchildren, if you ever have them to think, oh man, I wish I had more pictures of her, Mm -hmm. you know, but you didn't, you didn't show up in the pictures because you were too anxious about your arms or your legs or whatever, you know, and it's, it's not that that anxiety isn't really powerful or I don't mean to be flippant about it because I've certainly been there. And at the same time, I think it's just really essential that we work through that and we don't let the anxiety hold us back. Yeah. And, you know, I just want to like touch on something else too, that, um, you know, I'm not, I am, a, I hate these filters that have come out too, but I think a lot of times too, what people are comparing themselves to, they don't even know if it's really what people look like. And that's wreaking a lot of havoc too. It's like, they're seeing people that look flawless um, or they've, I know they've seen these apps where people can actually distort the, their bodies and they're not even looking like that. So um yeah, I'd love to hear your take on it. But I think even if people do that to themselves, they alter their own bodies and faces and complexions and things that can wreak a lot of havoc too, because then they, they get used to seeing versions of themselves that then when they do look in the mirror, they're going, wait, like I see myself on social media or in pictures looking like this. And then the reality is very different. And so I think that causes a lot of problems as well. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I think you're spot on with that. And uh, there's been studies that have shown even when images shown to people have a disclaimer saying this image has been altered, 
it still affects people's self-esteem. And that goes back to where we can know something intellectually, but that doesn't necessarily negate the negative impacts that it can have. And really the way our brains work is whatever we see or whatever we hear or whatever we think repeatedly, that's what our brain normalizes as like, oh yeah, this is the norm or this is the the right thing or the truth. And so when we see those images over and over and over, even if part of us knows, oh, that's probably got a filter or she angled herself just right. Mm -hmm. um, Our brain still on some level is like, yeah, this is, this is the norm. So I, I think it's also really important when you, when we talk about curating our social media feeds to make sure that we're seeing a diversity of images so that we're seeing bodies of all shapes and sizes and um, ages and abilities. And, you know, I do a lot of work in the body image space as far as like food um, type stuff. So weight and shape and things like that. But I like to follow accounts that also show women with acne and textured skin and, you know, other things related, because I, I think all that plays a factor too. We're, we're, we are definitely told on a very continual basis that we are supposed to be white. We are supposed to be young. We are supposed to be um, flawless skin, long, luscious hair, (laughs) and, you know, a thin body, uh, curvy, but only in the right places. And, you know, so those messages are, they're going to be in our face, no matter what, we can't totally get rid of them. But as much as we can reduce those messages and those images and replace them with things that teach our brain, hey, this is actually not the norm because statistically it is definitely not right. Like that, that picture of like the quote unquote ideal woman and body type and the beauty ideal that, that is, I I can't tell you statistically what population of women actually fits that ideal, but I would imagine it would be pretty small. Yeah. Good luck. I don't know either. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a research project we should take on. I find these magical people that exist that have all these attributes. But yes, that's a lot. Yeah, a lot of pressure. I mean, anyone listening is women. That's a lot of pressure to have to have the perfect every part of your body all the time. Mm -hmm. Impossible. Yeah, you know, and that's why I talk with clients too who are still pretty focused on losing weight and trying to get the ideal body that. If that's what you're depending on to feel good is meeting some sort of ideal culturally, it's like trying to hold on to sand because even if you get that body through disordered eating, whatever else you might be doing that's, you know, not super healthy for you, you're going to (laughs) age. And our society is not kind to aging women, right? So it's still that is going to escape you and you're still going to spend your life feeling insecure, not good enough, feel like, you know, whatever status or approval you've achieved through your body is going to escape you at any moment as you get older, or you might have an illness, right? I have a lot of clients that go through chronic illness unexpectedly. They develop something or, you know, or maybe it's something you know, more acute like cancer or maybe it's something like depression or whatever, but you can go through things that create body changes that can be outside your control sometimes. So it is just such shaky ground to be on to 
depend on your exterior looking a certain way to feel okay with yourself. Right. And I love that you said that. It's like if your value and worth is so dependent on your external, I mean, I mean, I, I know it's a morbid thing to say. I say this to my patients. I'm like, at the end of the day, have you ever read an obituary where it says like, oh, and this person died at like five this at this weight? And no, because that's not somebody's value and worth, right? It's about the qualities of the person and other things, right? If that was all that mattered and that was somebody's value and worth, then every obituary would have that in there. Like, oh, they, they were so great. Look at what they, you know, mm-hmm. what size they were and what they weighed. And no. Yeah, exactly. And when I've worked with clients, I've had them really think through what would you want somebody to say about you at your funeral? Because I think that helps us get clear about what kind of legacy do we want to leave behind and what actually matters. These things feel like they matter a lot because we've spent a lot of time thinking about them. We spend a lot of energy on them. But truthfully, when we dig deep, we find that they actually aren't our values. Not really, because uh, those that's not the answer that people typically give about. Yeah, yeah, I would love for somebody to stand up at my funeral. And the thing that they would talk about is how pretty and thin I was, <laughs> you know. So I think that helps us clarify like, ah, this feels really important. But is it actually, is this really how I want to spend my life? Would I regret that? You know, I, I said a while back, um, I think I was still maybe on the tail end of my recovery. So I was still kind of in things, but I remember saying, I didn't want on my epitaph on my gravestone to say she was really good at trying to be skinny. Yeah. No. Eye opening. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. So many people unfortunately do die trying to be skinny which is unfortunate yeah I've I've spent plenty of time in nursing homes and it's sad to say that there are those you know 90 year old women who are still in the dining room with all the senior citizens not eating pie and wanting salad for lunch and still weigh themselves and it's really sad to see you know I just want to say lady eat the pie you deserve it (laughs) Like, like you've lived a full life and like you live in a nursing home, like have some joy, eat the pie. But, you know, I think that just goes to show you there's not going to come a point where we just magically wake up and aren't in this anymore unless we unless we do the work and we're intentional about breaking up with diet culture and rejecting some of these beliefs and getting out of these obsessive thoughts and sometimes pretty entrenched behaviors and beliefs. But, you know, and I appreciate the work you're doing and you even coming on here to talk about it, because I think the more we talk about it, the more the awareness is spread. Hopefully, the more people we reach and kind of get thinking and talking about it, too, and going, wait a minute, I don't want to live my life like this. Like, I don't want to go to parties and not be present or enjoy the food or, you know, have my life bypass me. And all I did was, you know, beat myself up or I was miserable, like trying to look a certain way and hopefully yeah. hopefully anyone listening yeah you know yeah for sure I it is slow but we've definitely made a lot of movement as far as the body liberation and really pushing back on a lot of this diet culture and wellness culture stuff and I think that's that's really important and I'm happy to see that and I know it's slow um you know there's it's, it's hard to 
change some really deep-seated beliefs and ways of doing things culturally. But I'm happy every time people come to this because, you know, like I tell clients, hey, I wasn't I wasn't doing this work 15 years ago. I wasn't thinking these things 15 years ago. Neither were you. So, you know, the more that we work on ourselves and change ourselves and spread the message, you know, I've had clients that get really passionate about it. And like, you know, I call them almost like intuitive eating body freedom prophets because they're just going around telling everybody and sharing podcasts. And, you know, I'm like, the more that we do that, the more it's going to grow and you know, the quicker things are going to change. So I think what you said, there's a lot of truth in that. So, yeah. So anyone listening, share, share this podcast, share a lot of great wisdom. And um, so with that, like, how can people find you? So I'm on Instagram. My handle is at food freedom therapist. And you can also check out my website, which is nourished soul And as I mentioned, I have some free downloads there. You can go to the website and um, there's a couple of downloads. There's the one, there's a, the one on uh, body image and how to make peace with yourself in pictures. And there's one on intuitive eating. So I, I recommend either of those if you're still trying to do this work or new and trying to figure all, all of this and, and what this is all about. I, those are good places to start. And yeah, I would love to connect with people. I, I have a love-hate relationship with social media, as you can imagine. And I did not want to get on Instagram because I thought I don't want something else to manage, but I've been on it for the last few years just for business. And that has been really cool to connect with other people that are doing this work and um, both professionally and people that are doing it personally in their own lives and to have those conversations and share resources and stories. So that kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, you know, spreading the message and you know, sometimes in our day-to-day lives, we don't have people who are doing these kinds of changes or shifting their thinking in these ways. So there can be some power in connecting with community online. So I love, I'm a little busy these days, so I'm not on Instagram as much as I was, but I'm trying to get back into it because I really do love being able to connect with people there. Well, thank you so much. This is great. You have great resources. Um, Any last final words before we end? Well, thank you for having me on. First of all, I appreciate it. Um, And I guess my last thought is, I always just like to leave people with a message of hope, you know, that change is possible. It may feel impossible at times. I don't know if you experience that in your own journey, but sometimes we get to a place where we think this, this is it. This is the best that it can be. And, you know, maybe full recovery is not possible or making peace with my body is not possible, but it really is. And you know, I, I recognize that I'm in a straight size body. So I'm saying that from a little bit of a place of privilege, but I certainly have worked with clients on larger bodies and uh, follow amazing influencers in the space on social media who are in larger bodies that preach that same message of hope. So just want to leave that with anybody if they're feeling a little stuck or feeling like, ah, that sounds great, but I don't think I can do that or I'll never get there. Uh, you know, I've thought that all the clients I've worked with have thought that. And I, I like to joke that I don't usually like to be wrong, but when it comes to that, I'm glad I was wrong. <laughs> I totally agree with you. I, I was uh, definitely the worst patient. I tell everybody that I was in and out <laughs> and going, oh. but yeah, for, I would say if I can recover, I think anyone can truly. So yes, full recovery. I totally agree with you. 
Yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, like I said, thank you again for having me on. I enjoyed the conversation. I think this was important stuff for us to talk about. So I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you again. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.